passed away at the age of 96. He served our country in World War and that was Pat's father, AU. He also went to Bishop Ward High School. There's a drive into deep left center field and there's never a great time to eulogize. Ladies and gentlemen, you got Chris Thomas. Jamal Thomas. And you're listening to the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture. What is going on, everybody? What is going on? And you can check us in on 98.5 WJYN and on UptownRadioPhiladelphia.org and live on our YouTube on 98.5 WJYN. And man, what a week. What a last two weeks for Philly sports. And the hits just keep on coming. We got the World Series starting on Friday. You know, the Eagles are coming off their bye, playing Sunday, uh, playing host to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Still, I believe, two games left of the ML, MLS uh, playoffs for the uh, Union. I think it's the Easter Conference Finals on Friday. Okay. Yeah, Friday is the Easter Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the Sixers are also getting their season started. Anyway. Anyway. And if you want to call to join the discussion to talk to us about anything, you know, World Series predictions, Eagles talk. You can call us on 215-763-9596. Best caller this week gets the potential chance to win a T-shirt on behalf of the show. So, let's let's start off with, the, with those fightings, man. Be honest with me. At what point did you know that this team was going to go to the World Series? After the Cardinals come back. It was like, we looked like crap the entire game. I'm like, oh, this is why I didn't want to roll into the playoffs. I can't believe we're going to lose to the Cardinals. This sucks. And then all of a sudden, every ball started going our way. And I was like, the teams that win in October, the ones that get hot, they're the ones that hit well, the ones that pitch well, yes. But it's the teams that get those bounces that win championships. And I was like, all right. And then game two was just like utter domination Excuse me, from the pitching staff and um, I think Bryce and 
who else went yard in that game? It was a two nothing win, right? The yes. Game. And so, uh, you know, beating those guys in St. Louis, and then the Braves series was just like, all right, the defending champs, the team that's dominated his division for the better part of the last decade, mm-hmm. the standard for the better part of this entirety of this entire division, they are the gold standard. And for us to go, you know, split there. And then to not even let it ever get back to Atlanta was amazing. Um, I don't know. This has been like a fever dream. It's hard for me to even like look at the stats. You know, Bryce Harper, 1351 OPS, 419 batting average. Reese Hoskins, who had been one through for 35 at one point, now has the what the second or third most home runs in any postseason in Phillies history. It's like... Uh, JT will go. It's like everybody. Well, it's the whole team. As Jason Kelsey would say. As the great Jason Kelsey would say. Um, everybody's kind of Bryson Stott with the great timely contact hitting, getting on base, his ability to steal. Segura being a crafty veteran, great defense at second base. Alec Bohm has been incredible in defense and with his timely hitting. Uh, Castellanos, even though he hasn't hit a bomb yet, has just been great. And I think he's third on the team in RBIs in the postseason right yep, now. Yeah, and got the game winning out. Exactly. And then, man, Schwarby got that dog in him. We yeah. talked about it, you know, when we initially signed him and, you know, any of the couple of baseball friends that I do have, um, you know, we always talk about, I, I think something that's shared across any sport are people who are playoff guys, people who go out there and it's like when the money's on the line, when it's time to step up, for some reason they got this thing in their head that they're better than everyone else. Um, and Schwarber's one of those dudes. You saw it in Chicago. You saw it with Boston uh, last year. And, you know, you, you, you've just seen it anywhere that he's gone where the team competes or where he's gone, they've competed. And, he was uh, on the Nationals also, was he? Yeah, he was ma- on the Nationals last year. He was mashing. Uh, that's probably one of the few times in his career that the team is at least trying to contend because, you know, the Cubs kind of fell apart on him. But, um, you know, and, like, it's been just crazy to watch this team all coming together. Like, everything you thought – this team could be and then kind of struggled to be throughout the season because we got off to a slow start with Girardi. Bryce was mashing and then he goes down. The team kind of pulls together, but Bryce comes back early and it kind of more than anything disrupts um, the chemistry a little bit. And, you know, we failed to win 90 games, kind of sneak into the playoffs and you're kind of just like, all right, we're limping here, guys. Like we're pretty healthy, but it doesn't feel like we're playing great. And for those guys to come out, and with Rob Thompson and just believe, hey, we're in this dance. We can beat anybody. We can hang with anybody. was awesome to see. And it's the parody that we talk about in baseball all the time on the show. And, like, why baseball and hockey are the best playoffs. If you want if you were a person who did not feel like dealing with the doldrums of watching a full season of a team or a full season of a sport, I would advise you to be a hockey or baseball fan just from, just from the fact that you're, you're going to come in and be like, I don't know who the champion's going to be. Oh, there's 110 teams. A win team. They got eliminated in the first round. There's 101 team that didn't even get out of the wild card. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, it's just been crazy, you know, for the pitching to come together, for Dominguez to finally be healthy, for Robertson to be able to be there, for Wheeler to be in his prime, a guy who, for all intents and purposes, before becoming a Phil, was never 
a top flight superstar. He was a two or a great two or three who could give you a great outlet. I mean, when to be fair, like that Mets pitching staff where he originally came from, that was stat. Because at that point, like I don't he, even mean his 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 point in the rotation. Because if you're a star, you're a star. If you got three aces, you got three aces. But I wouldn't have called him an ace even based on his numbers before he became a Phil. Yeah, Nola, who's ha- obviously had his struggles with either consistency or uh, slight injury bug or or pitching in big moments, finally putting it together. You know, whether it was Gibson or or or, or Thor or, or Falter at some points, or obviously Ranger. Like everybody has contributed. And it's really, 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 really amazing to see. And it, and it reminds you of 08, and not only in the ways that the core four and, you know, Jimmy and Chase and, and, and Ryan and, at the time, Pat, like, these guys are powering us, our guys who are powering us. Shane Victorino, Gene Segura's, the the, the, the Bryson Stas, the Jason. I think the auxiliary guys, the complimentary pieces stepping up as well. Brandon Marsh with a huge bomb against the, um, the, Braves. the Braves in game four. You know what I mean? So – there's so many contributions you can just look back and it's like, man, coaching matters. When people always say, what does that mean? Or all these guys play out on the field. What's a coach do? <clears throat> you ask any player who's either been successful or not successful and where, when and where they were and weren't successful, it probably has to do with either the system or the coaching, depending, no matter what sport you're talking about. Yep. Unless you're talking about tennis or something like that. And even then, if you have a bad trainer in boxing, you have a bad one-on-one trainer in tennis, you're not getting the optimal um, um, result out of your skill level. Joe Droidy, a guy who I petitioned for, and I'll take this loss. When we had Gabe Kapler and we were struggling and it just felt like Gabe's message wasn't getting through, I wanted him gone. And I wanted Droidy. Obviously, anybody who listens to the show knows that I don't hate the Yankees. I am... Everybody has a sport where there's a team where some people would like to see uh, uh, Barca when they were in their prime or or, 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 or or the Cowboys or obviously the Lakers. You know what I mean? I kind of like seeing the Yankees good. It's good for baseball. And because, to be honest, out of the four major sports in Philly, baseball, I won't say means the least to me, but I will say has um, the hardest time, has had the hardest time over the last decade maintaining my uh, my interest just seeing good baseball or, or, or positive atmospheres mattered to me more in baseball. And it always kind of did because baseball was the sport I played first. But, uh, yeah, no. Um, but, yeah, for, for all of these guys to be co- contributing and playing at this level. And, and like I said, with Girardi coming in, and I thought he was going to be the guy to turn it around. And it just kept seeming like something wasn't clicking the last couple of years. And then it was like, all right, it's definitely the roster. And then we go out and we get all these pieces and something's still not right. It's whether it's pulling the rights, it's keeping Didi Gregorius in the lineup, it's it's Odubel Herrera being your center fielder instead of just going to get somebody who can be defensive and hit the same batting average as this guy. Um, having reliable starting pitchers behind Wheeler and Nola, which was the problem in the last two years. Having a bullpen that doesn't fall apart and give away every one or two and lead late in games. That you know, for hook or for crook, at some point, now we can say, all right, I know you close your eyes and you say, okay, fifth inning on, Nola's always giving up two runs. I know who's coming out of the pen. Fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, and ninth. I can say in my mind, given, okay, a situation you give me, I know who to go to. You couldn't say that two years ago. You couldn't say that last year. You might even say you couldn't say that in April or May. And for it all to come together in such a, tor- a short time span, especially after a shaky end. Like you said, Bryce didn't look like Bryce. JT was slumping. Reese was slumping. Schwarber was, was not hitting at the power rate he was in June and all. Like, 
it looked grim going and we, we were just like all right we played so well at one point let's just try to hopefully limp into the playoffs you know yeah just break the curse just break the curse just get in and i think what's funny is i think that is what going down because remember before the houston series we had a chance to clinch was that against the nats no against the cubs i believe yes and we got swept so, by the cubs yes we got swept we got swept by the cubs and so i think the pressure was on then at that point to say oh man are we going to just not make the playoffs at all yeah and i think the relief from going to houston because notice we lost in the next two games. We didn't care anymore. Yeah. The relief to going to Houston when the chips were down and we needed a win against an 106 win team. Yeah. Because at we that point it. it was us. We yeah. had to win. The, if we win the game, it doesn't matter what Milwaukee does. Exactly. We ran. Yes. And funny enough, because we're starting that game, Aaron Nola. Exactly. So I think once that weight was lifted off their shoulders, and obviously, you can see this team is always kind of. You see the recent Bryce Bond ever since they came here. You know, he can see Bryce could see. Our, you're a guy who I know when when it when it's time to rock, you'll rock with me. Yes. Um, and so uh, same thing with JT. Obviously, you know Bryce was happy about him here coming here and fighting for that opportunity. Um, you know, and and even guys who who aren't on his team. You know, DD for for being a good teammate and a good leader when he was here. Mm-hmm. For for Kutch being for Kutch. Shout out to Kutch for being a good leader, being a good teammate when he was here. Those guys who have passed through over the last three years or so, Vince Velasquez is in the world, even guys like that. Like, uh, you know, Hector Neris, who's going to be in that Astros bullpen, on, uh, you know, starting on Friday. So, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just – everything in me that is, you know, an analyst or, or any sort of, you know, eye test things, you go Astros and six, Right. Nothing about this run, nothing about this team, nothing about what this playoff pushes look like has made any conventional sense. So the unconventional answer is we beat them in five. And it never goes back to Houston. Yeah. The Phillies, anybody who's went to school will understand where I'm coming from when I make this when I make this analogy. The Phillies, the way that this team is constructed and the way that they were in September compared to October Listen, I didn't care about – listen, they're a team that didn't care about homework. They didn't care about turning it in. They really didn't pay that much attention to class. But when it came time to do their best work in the last minute, you know, great procrastinators, and when it comes time to take that major test, they pass with flying colors. Exactly. This is exactly what this Philly team is. Like, sure, they limped all the way through. They did all the grunt work to make sure that they got back well over 500 after being seven games – Seven games under 500 after Girardi went. They went. They had an amazing summer, even with Bryce out of the lineup. And if you would have told me that they would have made their headway, getting back well over 500 and into a major playoff push without Bryce Harper, I wouldn't believe you. But the fact that they were able to do that, the fact that the bullpen was able to make those leaps and bounds um, better than what they were over the last two years, those trade deadline trades that – Really, no one talks about the addition to get Brandon Marsh, the addition to get Thor, uh, Thor the addition to get Solsa to shore yep. up your infield defensively. Um, the fact that we got Robinson back, who's a really good postseason arm. Exactly. So the fact that we were able to do all of that, and and like I said, like I'm glad you said that ninth inning rally against the Cardinals will convince you, because that convinced me also. Because remember, uh, when we was on the phone talking about this, I'm like, 
oh, man, we got the Braves. I'm like, Phillies are four. This ain't going back to Atlanta. And everybody was like, you sure? I'm like, I'm not BSing. I'm not. Something about this team, like, listen, we have a chance to make a Cinderella team because we talked about it. Schwarby is a playoff guy. Bryce is going to be in the postseason for the first time in no, 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 the first time in four years. First time in four years, but also Philly. in the first time in the group, comfortable. Yes, but I when I when I get back to my whole when we get to talking about Bryce, I'll make that point. But continue what you were saying. Yeah, so nobody, most of the guys that are in this lineup, outside of obviously you know Schwarber, has never been in the postseason before. So the fact that they've gotten this opportunity. To do this for the first time in their career, obviously Reese and Nola being the longest tenured um, Phillies, along with Zach Eflin. You know, Wheeler was on that Mets roster, but I don't think he was not even close to, you know, starting who he is now. Who he is, who he is now. Um, same with JT, obviously, all those years in Miami, nowhere near close to the postseason. And, you know, the other guys who struggled, you know. Alec Bohm is probably the greatest redemption story. He went from, I hate this place, which I can relate. Anybody from Philadelphia would literally say, like, at at the time they were, like, upset with him saying, but listen, if you're from Philly, you completely understand we hate this place also. But No, seriously. Yeah, no. Sir, but the fact that they were able to turn this around and as much credit, and I'll give, and I'll give credit when the credit is due, especially when the Astros. The Astros are probably my favorite non-Philly team to watch because – just so how well-rounded they are in terms of pitching, bullpen, and their ability to play small ball. I love watching small ball. They can beat you in anywhere. Yes. And and, and also their player development is second to none. Yes, absolutely. And they all the Braves and the Dodgers. Yeah, and they also know when to pay people and when to you know, let people go. Garrett Cole, we talked about this uh, a couple days ago about that. Um, but And they swept through the entire postseason. They, one loss. Yep. They beat the Mariners. Yes, Mariners in the ALDS. And they swept the Yankees. Yep. Another 100-win team with Aaron Judge coming off a historic season. And now we're now questioning, like, what's the Yankees are going to go from, from here. But they swept the entire – but it's the, I'll make the argument that the Phillies have been – not because of the fact they're in the World Series, but – and I don't like to do the what-if – and I know the what-if card is a little shaky when it comes – but let's be real. In that Braves series, we would have slept the Braves if Reese Hoskins didn't have that error in game two. No, that's, I don't think that's a that's a, a jerky like, hey, what if? It's like a we dominated the series other than that one possession. Yes. So I don't think that's a ridiculous claim. Yeah. And, was, and Nola finally had like his first bad start since like, like August. So – and that's also the reason why the Padres went. So we can argue that if it wasn't just for those two bad hiccups, we would have just, like, slept through the postseason as well. Exactly. So, listen, analyst me, I'm just like, everything in terms of metrics, analytics-wise, and more importantly, just postseason history-wise, everything goes to the side of the Astros. But the one thing that you just can't measure is the amount of heart that this team plays and more importantly, just the major chemistry. yeah, chemistry. You just can't also measure the fact that how well how fast this Phillies team has been put together defensively. Like I mean, obviously you got your hiccups from Reese and, you know, Segura on a few on a few cases. Mm-hmm. But no one but if you would have told me that if Bryce would have gotten a go ahead run in the eighth inning 
against the Padres, I was like, man, that's something from the movies. I don't think we would have ever saw this coming. But, <laughs> Lord and behold, that's what happens. This entire postseason is a fever dream. So it's kind of hard for me to to not be real, not be unrealistic. Say like, hey, this series doesn't go back to Houston. Also, like, obviously, if you want to go Nola because you want to give Zach Wheeler a day of rest, yeah, sure, I'm fine with that. All you got to do is take one of those games. Yep. If you take one of those games, if you take the game with Nola, then you put all the pressure on Houston. Yes. Because then Verlander, I'm assuming, is going to start one. Yes. And then you have Fran Valdez to start game two against Wheeler. Yeah. I would think as good as Valdez is, we have that pitching advantage. Yeah. And as much as I like Verlander, Verlander is also has been a little shaky. Like Before, like, before the postseason, but it's also postseason Verlander. You got to yeah. give him his credit. Yeah, that's also yeah also true. But if He's you, like anti-Clayton Kershaw. He can have a horrible season, and then if you get him in the postseason – uh, I was just gonna say Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> Madison Bumgarner is a league of his own. He's like, I don't even know if there's another sport sports comparison to him. It's like, because he's never gonna be a Hall of Famer. He's Eli Manning. Eli, <laughs> I was gonna say Eli Manning. <laughs> Perfect. He's Eli. Manning. For some reason, you get him in the right spot in the playoffs, and you just like align it just right, and you just like let it go, like one of those old RC cars or like a Beyblade, and just watch it work. Yep. But, yeah, but it's also kind of nice because considering, you know, the Astros history, now everybody's rooting for the Phillies. <laughs> for the first time ever. Yep. And, you know, baseball purists are like, look at that. I know, you know, here running back, you know, we speak on things that people don't want to think about, but all of the Astros' best players happen to be what pigmentation? Either Latin or black. And predominantly, what are all of the Phillies players? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is an easy, hey, everybody's cheering for Philadelphia for once, but it's the most, I'll say this, there's a reason that when there's Eagles games, when there's Sixers games, there's a way that people treat our fandom versus when it's baseball, or, how people treat our fandom. Or when, hockey. Or hockey, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, and it's such a small thing to notice, but it's, it's how media coverage is so sim- uh, like like it's, it's such a subcontext to it because it's like you know they're like look at this playoff atmosphere in Philly and look even when they were on Broad Street they're like oh look at the there was no like oh look at them destroying things or anything. it was just this joyous coverage. Yeah. I don't think a person got arrested or touched. Now mind you, nobody was doing anything crazy. Like yeah, we was there. No one was doing anything. No one was doing anything crazy. But yeah, except that one guy tried to light the Astros' head on fire. That was a little weird. Yeah, and then there was like a purple smoke grenade that smelled really weird. Yeah. Um, and anyway, but I digress. Uh, <laughs> I do like our chances. I think playing it. I think playing at the clip that we played under Rob, thinking about who we have on this team, this matchup isn't as, unf- as unfounded as you would think, because playing at the clip we played under Rob, I think they said we'd have been a ninety-six win team. Yeah. Okay, so we're 10 wins off of the pace. In theory, the best version of the team, which is what we are now, I would agree, right? Yeah. Why can't we knock off the Astros? So I think I agree with you. I think it's Phillies and five. Yeah. I think we split in Houston, and then I think 
games three, four, and five will be some of the loudest baseball environments you'll ever hear. And it's going to be the loudest environment the Astros have probably played in, like, road-wise. In any of their championships. Like, no disrespect to Chavez Ravine and Dodger Stadium and, you know, them being in the Bronx and, uh, you know. Them playing the Nationals or the Braves. Anyway, playing the Braves. I was going to skip the Nationals. (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, we got to get this right. Yes. Feels in five. And then I also want to beat him in five because the Nats went seven with him. Oh, my gosh. They'll have lost to three in at least teams. Yes. I ju- it just dawned on me. Yes, the NL East is their kryptonite. We just take turns beating the Astros for titles. Yeah. I kind of love that. Yeah, because you know how embarrassing it would be. More than anything else besides I wanted us to have a title and all that, you know how embarrassing it would be to be the only NL East team that, that folded the Nats and Braves and just, like, wouldn't let that happen to me, though. Yeah. And also, we just need another chip because we'll be the only other NL East team to actually win multiple titles in the 2000s. Who else did? I said we'll be the only one. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. The Mets don't have any. Yep. Braves have one, Nats have one. And the Mariners have one of those three. Can't forget that. Oh, the Marlins do have one. Yeah. That's actually hilarious. I literally <laughs> forgot the Marlins have a ring. Hey, man, Mets, what are you guys doing? No, the Marlins have two rings. Oh. The Marlins have two rings. I forgot about that. Oh, wait. When was 03 and when? Uh, 97. Oh. <laughs> the Edgar Renteria game. Uh, okay. No, I was talking about in the 2000s. But, yeah, but anyway, Mets, what are you doing? <laughs> the Mets, like, remember in 1986? I Who? think the Mets have two. Like, overall, I think the Mets have two. The Braves have three or two. They did I'm going to say th- they won it in 99. I know that. And they beat the Yankees in 99. Yeah, 95 and 99, I think they won it because the Yankees won in 96, 98, 2000, and 2009. Those are Jeter's rings. Uh, they have They have four. 1914, 1957, 95, uh-huh. and the, the, last, the last, year. last year. Okay, so they must have lost the Bra- They must have lost to the Braves in ninety. I mean, lost to the Yankees in ninety nine. Yeah. They went in ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. Poor shipper. <laughs> anyway, you're listening to ninety eight point five WJY and the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture. If you want to call to join the discussion, that number is two one five seven six three nine five nine six. And let me ask you this, because I know how much of a big, you know, Aaron Judge fan that you are, but there's no chance he leaves the Yankees, right? Because I just want to make sure. Because I can't realistically see anybody now, else. Do I think that they could open up the checkbook and pay him anything that he wants? Yes. He's almost thirty. You could argue that besides this particular year, the last couple of years he has struggled. He also had a problem staying healthy. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a possibility. And Steve Cohen's already said he's going to throw the checkbook at him just to spite Steinbrenner. So I think with that being said and other people having Judges money, met? Yeah, well, also, but. Because the, if, you could, if you could talk yourself in, in, into not paying DeGrom and paying Judge and just going, we're going to match our way to a ring. 
Ooh. Alonzo then judges the cleanup. Ooh. Man, that's yeah, that's fair. Um because also like the thing is you can all if you're in a match you can also get away with it because also now there's universal DH. So I don't think the whole like aging thing doesn't matter because like if he gets old but he still is raking, then you just put him at DH and you don't gotta worry about anything like the, like the like the Cardinals did with Pujols. Exactly, especially with the universal DH now, which is funny to think about. Yeah, that it, it plays such a role now where you can you can think about having just one purely offensive player. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, no, it is. And then the shift will be going next year, so. Offense will have to pay more straight up. Yeah. It's going to make the scoring go up and make it more interesting. Yeah. And uh, I was saying my Bryce piece of it all is like, you know, obviously I think at this point we can agree that even if we do lose the World Series, Bryce will be loved here in Philly forever now. He's yeah. one of us. But his journey is crazy because he is the only baseball player besides maybe Ken Griffey, and that was the pre-social media, pre-24-7 sports coverage era, um, or rather kind of the infancy of it when he first came in the league. But when Bryce was coming up, Twitter was just starting to really go the way it was. Instagram wasn't too far behind, and, you know, the 24-7 news media cycle that is sports coverage these days was starting to really take shape, you know. Mm-hmm. And he had literally in his sports center or a sports illustrated cover said the LeBron of baseball pretty much. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's been though. And I think this is cool because you can see the parallels in their career. It's actually really, really cool. Um, coming up, you know, I guess obviously LeBron might have been slightly more consistent and less injured with Cleveland, but if you look at him coming up with Washington team that didn't really matter, never really was relevant. He made them relevant, he made them special, and he made them winners. But then people said he wasn't doing enough for them to win. So then when he decided to leave them, people said he wasn't loyal. Mm -hmm. So then he goes to a team that people don't agree with him to going to, you know, for different reasons. But he saw something in them that could help him make them a winner. He immediately starts playing ball. Now, obviously, the first two years, or I guess three years, I would call you know, because how baseball works, I would all I would encompass all of that as LeBron's 2011 season in Miami where figuring it out, getting the right pieces because he didn't go to a super team. He went to a team that's a little bit different than LeBron. He kind of just chose his own path. Yeah. But if, you know, to give the parallel some, some more context, it's like, you know, that struggle season was his struggle two and a half seasons to get the guys right around him, the pieces around him, the right manager and everything. For him to, you know, be able to when it was time to do what he needed to do for him to have the season he had. And then, you know, just the icing on the cake, he wins MVP last year in a year we should have beat the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, this year he hurts his hand. The team learns how to win without him and come back, and then we get to these amazing playoff moments where he comes through time and time again, whether it's the doubles against the Cardinals, whether it's the homers against the Braves, whether it's the epic, you know, top five sports Philly, Philly sports moment home run against the Padres like at bottom of the eighth 2-2 two, two count down one at home you can't write that you, you can't write that you know seeing it obviously you know I'm sure if you're listening out there you've seen the edit of the money ball clip with uh, Bryce Harper's home run and it's like a perfect movie moment 
it's like that serene music playing in the background, kind of serenading him around the bases and like the rumbling of the noise and kind of a simulation of what must be going through his mind. Like he can hear everything and nothing at all. And um, yeah, I'm ready for a battle. Uh, you know, like I said, Phil's in five is my heart. Truthfully, I say us in seven, but Phil's in five is my heart. So, yeah, I say five because I don't think we can afford to go back to Houston. Yeah, I feel like too good, and they're too hungry. Yeah, they want another one. This is gonna be the worst. They're gonna be the, the most desperate version of us. So we're gonna beat them. We're gonna have to beat them. Yeah, and also the fact that we take care of business at home. If the fact that we're going one, if the series is tied up one one, they in they have to come to Citizens Bank Park tied one one, or at the worst case scenario two zero, they're gonna feel it, and it's gonna play right into our hands. Yeah. Oh, if we come back to two zero, it's a sweep. I'm calling it. Yeah. If Wheeler and Nola go out there and handle the business, somehow the offense can jump on their pitchers, and we go up two zero and come back here and it's two nothing, I think it's over. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, it's going to be a really good World Series. And I'm kind of glad all the entire, all seven games, if necessary, they all started all at the exact same time, 8 o'clock. Yeah, love that. So now I can get off work and get off work and make sure that by the time the World Series starts, I got all my my bearings together and <laughs> sit back and watch some great baseball. <laughs> But um, from one Philadelphia team, you know, handling their business to another, the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, obviously still undefeated. They run their bye uh, this week. feel like it was necessary. Um, a good way to uh, – a good time to have their bye, you know, to recharge and start the rest of their season. Um, they play host to the Steelers this coming Sunday. Um, a struggling – a very struggling Pittsburgh offense and a defense who – it's still doing the best of – still playing really good football without the use of their best players. Exactly. So my question for you is that we've known the schedule. We've seen it. Do you think this team has a possibility to go undefeated? No. I think we make too many mistakes and we play sloppy football a lot of times and we've gotten away with it this, um, over the first six weeks. And it's not to disparage this team. I just want to be honest with people about it. Is that I do think we are one of the best teams in the league, and I think you know, given context and record, we are the best team in the league. But I also don't necessarily say that with one hundred percent confidence. I think we can be beat, and I think <laughs> our Achilles' heel is the fact that we haven't yet. Because I think now we're just getting confident, and getting confident, and I hopefully maybe it'll just make us rectify and change those things and get better each week. But you know. Um, Last week's game over, you know, the Cowboys, or I guess the week before last, was uh, um, sloppy in the second half. Like we talked about, that foot off the gas syndrome. So it'll be interesting to see this reeling Pittsburgh team if we just can treat them like the spiraling team that they are and stomp them. Or are we going to let them be in the game? Is Kenny Pickett going to come in here and, or go, I guess, in, in the, the former ketchup bottle and have, you know, a field day? Yeah. And honestly, that's why I said I'm glad the bye week happened when it did because I'm tired of, like, the biggest pet peeve, and I think any Philadelphia Eagles fan will agree, is that their third quarter play has got to improve. Like, I understand first half, they're world beaters. 
if you have to grade an entire team just on the first half alone, particularly in the second quarter, they are by far the best team in football, and it's not even close. But the fact that they need to understand that just because you were up two to three scores doesn't mean you let your foot off the gas and then just like, oh, hey, let's just go back to running the football on the fourth and just ice it. No, you have to me, they have to show a little bit more urgency. Uh, they have to show you know, a lot more aggression on both the offense and defensive side of the ball with a sense of urgency, especially in the third quarter. So that way it's not a game. Like your upcoming games, you're facing a really bad Pittsburgh Steelers offense that really can't block for anybody. They can't block for Kenny Pickett, and they can't block for Najee Harris. Then you have the Houston Texans. Young team, very scrappy. Trying, but short on talent, so it's yeah. a team you should beat. Yeah, then you got the Commanders. A team you should beat who will still have to look. I think they'll be more dangerous with Heineke, funny enough, yeah. than they were with Wentz. Yeah. Then you got a Colts team who's pretty much at this point kind of punting the season with Sam Ellinger. Oh, man. Okay, that's 11. Okay. Uh, uh, Green Bay, in which – A spiraling Green Bay. A spiraling Green Bay. Like, Aaron Rodgers is not the bad man that we're used to seeing. I don't like that you just said that, but I also don't like that you're not wrong. So Listen, listen we're both A-Rod fans. I know. So, it, it sucks for the fact that I have to say this also. Tennessee. That might could be the trap. That might be the game. Yeah. Tennessee could I could see them it's weird that I, I don't I don't well I mean Jordan Davis, I don't know. Let's just say for 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 kick's sake, twelve and up. Who's next? The Giants. And that first Giants game is in New York. We could be talking about twelve and no or eleven no versus like ten and one or something like yes. that. Or even nine and two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chicago and at Soldier Field. That's gonna be a good game. They're gonna be they're gonna be grooving, even though if they might be five and eight or whatever. They'll, they'll know they know who they are as a team now. Yeah, and if the game plan for what we saw last night against New England is any precedent of what they're probably gonna be going forward, then that's definitely a trap game as well. Exactly. Yeah, uh, Dallas. In Dallas. Yeah, which that could be also be a loss. Yeah, the Saints. Is it here? Yeah. Oh, that's a win. Yeah. Ha! We actually get to add a loss to the Saints total to help our draft pick. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then finally, we close the season against the Giants. Here. Got you. I mean, I don't think we go undefeated, but I don't see too many. No, I, I see about two lo- two or three losses. Yeah, I see three. And we're going to probably lose one of those Giants games, maybe that other Cowboy game, and then there's some other trap loss in there. I'm not saying maybe a Sam Ellinger has the day of his life against us. Yeah. Uh, oh God, no! Please don't. I know too many Colt fans. <laughs> oh, and then don't let us actually win the Super Bowl. I'm like, well, we beat the Super Bowl champs. Okay. It's like, okay, guys, we're all impressed. Oh no! Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's even a reason to talk about this Pittsburgh game. I mean, that's the definition of a trap game, but. Nothing they do scares me. Um, without T.J. Watt, their pass rush is non-existent, so Jalen should have plenty of time. This is actually a game where he should be practicing. I know that sounds disrespectful to be in the middle of the season, but like this is a game where maybe he throws more than we run a little bit in this game and kind of trying to get these guys going and get him used to being able to air the ball out. So in games where that's what we need to do, we can. You know? Yeah, build that confidence. And this is also a game in which kind of the first commander's game in which 
this defensive line should be feasting on Kenny Pickett. Oh, yeah. Should be feasting. We need to get our – it's crazy that every year that uh, – a, a stat I saw for um, the Steelers that was crazy was every year since T.J. Watt has been in the league, the Steelers have led the league in sacks. Since he went down in week two, they're last in the league. Oh, man. What? I beg your pardon? That is – you hear jaw-dropping stats or jaw-dropping. That is a jaw-drop. Every year since he's been in the league, they have led the league in sacks. Since he went down there dead last. Wow. Like, that. that's impact. That's Aaron Donald impact. That's impact. Yeah. That's LT stuff. That's Reggie White stuff. Yeah, and for him not to be out there, I, I, Jalen Hurts should be back there brewing coffee. So, and then we, and then like running all over them. I don't even have to discuss that. Like that should be a given. Yeah. So, um, I say thirty six, thirty to seventeen, Eagles. I'm calling it. You trust? You trust that offense to get seventeen, especially with the way our defense is playing? Yeah, because I think we'll give. I think they'll get seven early. And then they'll sneak a three somewhere in there, and then they'll get a garbage time touchdown. No, I say 30-10. You don't see the garbage time touchdown? No. They're not a garbage time team. Their offense is just really bad. Mm. Except for George Pickens. I don't know George Pickens. <laughs> Free George Pickens. Yeah. <laughs> He's not locked up. He's just on the Steelers. Yeah. Free Deontay. No, oh, never mind. He, he had a contract extension. He ain't going nowhere. He ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Pay that. Pay that, man. They already did. Um, Chase Claypool might be going somewhere on the trade deadline. I would take Claypool. I mean, we don't need him, but I'd take him. Yeah. I like Quez, but I, I do think Quez is kind of lacking as a third receiver. What's up, man? We got Zach Pascal. Anyway. Listen, if you want those two catches for 13 yards, we know where to go. <laughs> I don't like that you said that. Why? Because <laughs> you know you I'm right. Made my point. Why are you booing me? I'm right. No, you just made my whole point. That's all I'm saying. Listen, when your top three guys are Devontae Smith, Adrian Brown, and Dallas Goddard, who cares about the fourth option? The fourth option is the running game. <laughs> I mean, you're definitely Let's, not wrong about that. I will give you that. Yeah. I mean, we have a guy who leads the league in slant yards in A.J. Brown. A a yak monster in Dallas Goddard who doesn't like get tackled in the first tackle, and Devontae Smith was just a set, route running aficionado. Yes, and then you got Baby T.O. Yep. Cool. Yeah. No, but overall, I'm really excited for um, how the rest of the season goes, and especially with the way that the rest of the NFC is shaping up to be. <laughs> There really shouldn't be no reason why that this team should not be in the NFC title game. Yeah, easily. There's no, there is no way on the world that I accept anything more than at least two playoff wins. And if we have the first, if we have the one seed, at least one playoff win, you should get out the division. So assuming we're the one seed, right? We got a large jump. We're six and zero. All of these good things. You should at least win the divisional round. Mm-hmm. If you lose an NFC title game to a team that's hot or coming down the pipeline, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. You can't lose the opening playoff game at home as the one seed. Nope. Nope. Not the first home. Not the first home playoff game in. Well, oh no! Technically, it's only been three years or two years. I forgot about the uh, Carson game. Yeah. 
And you can even argue, even with that, they, they almost won that game. They did almost win that game. If Josh McCown's body didn't give out on him, I think we could have won that game. Because Russ did not play good. At all. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, like, I'm just looking at the post uh playoff standings right now. Obviously, we'd be the one seed, followed by Minnesota, two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Seattle would be the three seed. Geno Smith, baby. <laughs> yeah, everybody, had, everybody saw that coming, right? <laughs> nope. Who's the four seed? Tampa, Tampa Bay and the five seed is Dallas. Uh no yeah no no uh five seed is New York. Oh six seed is Dallas. Y- yes. The seven seed is the Rams. That's not a bad playoff field. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be, it'd be Viking it'd be Vikings and Rams, Seahawks and Dallas, and Bucks and Bucks and Giants. That's good games. Yeah. I think Tom could pull out that Bucks Giants game. By the way. <laughs> And tell me you don't think that same thing. Who are you taking in a playoff game, Daniel Jones or Tom Brady? Even with Tom Brady's offense right now. I don't know. If Daniel Jones is really just a, the true descendant of Eli Manning, then he beats Tom Brady. No. Not if they do. Sorry. I got to call you on that one. I'm sorry, bro. Like, didn't you also say you liked the Giants this year? I do like the Giants, but I also don't doubt Tom Brady in the playoffs until he shows me anything. Okay, that's cute. But I'm actually watching Tampa Bay this year, and there is – Yeah, but it's a lot of season to go. Yeah, that's true, but – Do you remember Tampa Bay was like four and three or something like that the year they won the chip? Godwin still got to get right. Mike Evans has got to get right. Yeah, but also you need to realize the Giants are also six and one, and – the biggest issue that they have in the injury department is their wide receivers. Yeah. All their top is guys. Is Tony out for the season? Yes. They would have been way more dangerous. Yeah, and so, Ster- no, Shepard is out for the yeah, season, right? Yeah, yeah, I think him and Shepard are out. Wow. So They're literally doing this for and, the Yeah, and Kenny Galladay is just out there. Just, you, stealing money? Yeah. So... I wonder how many snaps he gets per week. Yeah, but think about it. Like the Giants improved their offensive line. Saquon is fully healthy. Their defense is actually Pretty still playing top. Good. Yeah, still playing top ten well. And not to mention, like the Bucks' offensive line is not that good. It's not. But you can surround Brady with as many weapons as they want. But if that offensive line doesn't hold up against that Giants' offensive line with those young pass rushers that they have. I'm sorry, I don't see a reason why the Giants can't is win. Is Minnesota the biggest threat to us? No. Who is? I think it's the Giants. I think it's Dallas. With Dak Prescott as their quarterback, they have our number. And let's be real. For being honest, they almost beat us last Sunday. Or Sunday before last, excuse me. And let's say we do go to Jerry World and beat them. How many times does the team actually beat a team three times in one year? Well the giant well the Cowboys did it to us a few years ago, then why can't we do it to them? You got a point. <laughs> no, no, the only reason why I said the Giants is because this is a team with no expectations on them. This is a team in which in nearly every single trench in department in the trenches they match up well against us. 
and you're have a quarterback in Daniel Jones who not a lot of people are talking about, but he's a legitimate dual threat quarterback. Like la- like this week against the Giants, he had over 100 yards rushing. He was their leading rusher, not Saquon Barkley. So this is a guy which, oh, he's got 180 yards passing, but he also has 70 yards rushing and he has two touchdowns. Like, I don't think we truly have given enough credit the job that both Mike Kafka and Brian Dable has done to change Daniel Jones into a way more functioning quarterback than he has been ever since he got into the league. Yeah, they're just setting him up to not make mistakes, but the problem is you shouldn't have to do that with a fifth-year quarterback. If you're doing that for Jalen, if you're doing that for Justin Herbert, I get adjusting the offense to someone, but making it idiot-proof, for lack of a better term, it doesn't inspire me in the playoffs. Okay. I think that I do like this Giants team. They can run the ball and they play sound defense. But what happens in the playoffs when you get down 14? I mean, no but, receivers in Daniel Jones. I mean, but here's but here's the thing also is like before those guys even came in, would you argue that Daniel Jones had the most stable situation coming in? No. Exactly. So like we talked about this, like coaching matters. So when Daniel Jones got into the league, he didn't have the most you know, ideal coaches. The offensive line was a shambles. And probably the best. Yeah, but Ben McAdoo and then ben Joe Ma- Judge. Joe, yeah, exactly. And you didn't have really nothing to write home about in the wide receiver department. Your best playmaker, Saquon Barkley, after his rookie year, kept getting hurt. And you did nothing to fortify your offensive line in order for him to. And that's why he kept getting hurt. So this is the full first um, long-term uh, sample size. You're seeing him being healthy. And him being in command of the offense, in which he has, a, in which he has a coaching staff that not only is is instilling confidence and trust in him, but they're also making sure that they're protecting him. Um, I think you'll like what I call this because it's really the LT, but it's cool to see someone get the Sean Alexander treatment, um, the Marshall Falk treatment. If you're um, of Chris and I's age, you know, growing up in the age where you could design your offense around a running back and then build everything else. AP, Sean Alexander, LT, Falk. These are all guys whose their team was truthfully built around them and their success. And then everything begetted off of that. Sure, you could even argue Brian Westbrook. You know, he, the, seriously, because there was a year, there's years that he could have done a thousand and a thousand if he got enough touches. Yeah. And he just spread the ball out so much. But it speaks to what B West could do because he could spread the ball out so much because you had to worry about. Do I put him in the slot? Do I bring him out on the Texas route? Do I flare him out? Do he go out in the flat? Shooting could go out wide and beat you up top. You can take so um, to see Saquon getting a chance to do that and it being successful because you know we only think of really Derrick Henry in the league because CMC gets his, but it really has never made the Panthers good or bad. Yeah. Um, but to see a running back being the main option and it being a team showing success is awesome. Obviously, you know you had San Fran a couple years ago, but I like the whole. It's the equivalent of seeing a team that has like Allen Iverson or like a like a like a like a younger Steph Curry, a guy who's just like an isolation scorer. It's just like it's all on him and his legs, and like to see some of the moves Saquon's um, making and the ways they get him the ball and things like that is really awesome. Yeah, exactly, and. Listen, we've seen lesser quarterbacks win, win playoff games in January before, so it wouldn't so it wouldn't surprise me that if Daniel Jones if Daniel Jones wins a playoff game this year, it wouldn't really be all that shocking. We like I know Blake Bortles isn't solely responsible for playoff wins, but we've seen teams with Blake Bortles at quarterback win playoff games before. They almost went to the Super Bowl, you know, the year that we won it. 
we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo, for better or for worse, the biggest compliment that people when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo is, uh, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo's a winner. All he does is win games. We've seen him play in two NFC, NFC title games, and we do see him play in a Super Bowl. Yeah. So, like, we have seen the formula that as long as you have a complementary team around him, along with a strong running game, you fortify your offensive line, and you can just ask Daniel Jones to make, okay, I just need you to make this one or two big three, uh, big plays. And you can ask to, for Daniel Jones to do more as opposed to Jimmy Garoppolo because of his ability as a runner. Yes. So it wouldn't surprise me that if, hey, I need you to go to Tampa and I just need you to throw for 200 yards and run, run for 50. And I feel like, and with that, I feel like we can win a playoff game. I can see that happening. Oh, yeah. Well, and not to mention, historically, and like we'll also talk about like culture wise, the Giants are always road warriors when it comes to, you know, the postseason. We, they've done that for um, Eli's. Uh, both Super Bowls won by Eli Manning. They were just all strictly on the road. Exactly. Um, and it's funny because, remember, there was a streak for a while where it felt like every other year a team would take for, go from the sixth seed to either winning the bowl or getting in it. Yeah. And it's it's kind of been a while before a team has – since the team has really done that. Um, You know, so I'm not – like like I said, I, I think with – I could see the Giants winning a playoff game. Mm-hmm. And if Daniel Jones continues to, I won't say progress, but I can say continues to manage the game properly, I could even see them getting to the NFC title game against the Birds. Yeah. So let's see. Right now, the top three teams on the outside looking in the in the NFC is the 49ers, followed by Green Bay, then Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, let's talk. Also, let's we talk. You brought up Christian McCaffrey briefly, and we also talk about building teams around running backs. Uh, let's talk about that because the one thing that um, you brought up a few months ago, um, especially in the after the NFC title loss against the the Rams or the Forty Nineers, is that they don't have you know that running back where like okay, I can give this guy fifteen to twenty carries uh, faithfully, and I could just run my offense effectively. Um, what are your thoughts about the Christian McCaffrey trade? I think it – I, not to toot my own horn and think that it makes me some football expert, but it's like your system can be great. You still need players to execute your system. And you need players who can execute outside of your system when your system isn't working. Some, and, you know, I'm not saying I think McCaffrey is this world beater, but I also think he is a top seven to eight running back in this league. And now with the way that San Fran blocks and the way that um, that offense gets their weapons the ball, he's going to have a chance to be destroying Roger Craig's season numbers in a lot of ways, um, maybe even some Frank Gore records. Uh, I love the fit, obviously him being a Stanford and Bay Area kid because of his father being from Cali and him living out there and um, getting, you know, I always, I'm always down. I don't even care if it's the Cowboys or not. I'm always down with a guy getting to play for his hometown team. I think that's a dream for anybody who's ever cheered or played a, a sport. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a good move. I think it's the logical next step for what you needed over there. Debo is your, your number one weapon. And if this offense is built on just ridiculous versatility, whether it's Kittle to Juice Check to, 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 to McCaffrey now to even Ayuk and Debo being able to run reverse sweeps in and be able to line up all, you know, X, Y's in the slot. Um 
Yeah. I think you won't really truly see the greatness of this offense until you get Trey back. And until you get him healthy and integrated, and then I, you, run, I was just then you can run that. a triple option where it's like you got McCaffrey and Debo in kind of that wishbone pistol, and it's like a oh, fake here, pitch to Debo outside, a fake inside to Debo, oh jet sweep, like it's just so many options, you know, or or pull, pump fake to Debo up top to Ayuk because the safety's now bit and it's no way he can get up, you know, just having those options. Uh, running that coach move here from Remember the Titans. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, yeah, I like, I like the, uh, I like the, I like the 49ers acquisition of McCaffrey. I don't, I will say, I don't necessarily think, I get what John Lynch is saying. Like, I don't want to punt on this season. I've punted on two Jimmy seasons. Um, we have the number one or two defense in the league. Um, you know, obviously, I don't know what happened against the Chiefs. The Chiefs are hitting their stride, and I guess we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, yeah, I, I I guess, you know, trying to just keep remaining competitive because at the end of the day, no matter how secure you think your job is, you can go from, hey, we were in the NFC title one year to, hey, you guys went 5-11, and 11, we're going to get rid of you, clean house, and kind of change over things, you know? Yeah. So um, still want to compete, still want to make sure that either when Trey is healthy or just do things you can do in the moment to make the playoffs. Because football, you know, obviously basketball has the least amount of parity. Um, but... Football has some parity in that a team like the Niners, who might struggle during the season, can get. It's almost like the Phils; they can struggle during the season and get healthy at the right time. And I would argue if they're completely healthy, you're talking McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, that defense. Be honest with yourself; I could see them coming in the link and beating us. Yeah. I could easily see it. Yeah, because they're not afraid of us, and they have way more experience than most of the guys on our team now. Um, but that would that would be a slugfest. That'd be an awesome NFC title game. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that's that's where I view the Christian McCaffrey deal, and that's where I view the Niners at this point. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like for me, good for them for like not trying to punt the season. I get why they why they did the deal, but I feel like you're not going to reap the benefits of the the reward for this deal until next year, because I feel like for me, you know, I feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. I think everybody knows how we both feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, okay. You can surround him with the Pro Bowl cast of the entire NFC, and you're probably still going to put up like 17 points with this with this offense. But I feel like I feel like once you get Trey back fully healthy and you're actually committed towards him, in which you're actually building an offense, scheming the offense properly around him, then I feel like okay. The McCaffrey trade, along with Debo, along with Kittle, along with Ayuk, along with the Jushek, you know, Trent Williams, even being like in his mid 30s, is probably still the best left tackle in all of football. And, you know, their defense is still, you know, despite the massive hiccup from that Chiefs game, I don't know what the hell happened. They don't there. have corners, that's what happened. Yeah. So we all know what their first round pick is going to be. <laughs> Yeah, because they don't have a second or third or a fourth at this point. Exactly. They're going to have to get a corner, an, an impact corner. Yeah. So, but, yeah, this is a team in which if they get healthy and <coughs> we've seen it before. This, I would say, like, last year was probably probably the weakest incarnation of the 49ers team, and they still made it all the way to the NFC title game. Exactly. Like, there was no – I don't think there were really that much expectations on the 49ers – because they made the playoffs week 17. 
Like, a lot of people thought that Dallas was going to, you know, make a run. And they obviously went to Jarrett's world and they put a shot to them. You know, Green Bay was the number one seed. And they still showed that they still got Green Bay's number and going up to Lambeau Field and beating them. Exactly. So, and if it wasn't for Jaquaski Tart dropping potentially that interception, you're possibly looking at a Bengals 49ers Super Bowl. Rematch. 25 years in the making. Yeah. And. At that point, it probably. What if Joe Burrow had a ring and a national title within a three-year span? Yeah. Or you know. Do you draft Trey Lance at that point? Huh. Oh, they already, they already, they had, already had Trey. Well, shoot! At that point, it's like then you would have been even more of a compromised position because how do you trade a guy who just won you a Super Bowl? I feel like there would have been much more flyers to potentially trade for Jimmy Garoppolo at that point because his stock would have been high. Because cause remember, like like my dad always said, there's a sucker born every minute. You got to take advantage of opportunities in certain situations. Like, let's be real. As Sam Bradford is not worth a first-round pick in terms of in any sort of trade scenario whatsoever, probably outside of his rookie year. But because of the injury to Teddy Bridgewater in Minnesota, you can then dictate your price in terms of, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, you guys drafted a quarterback number two overall, and you guys still have Sam Bradford, so what's your ask of price on Sam Bradford? Like, yeah, we want yeah, we at least want one of your first. And probably another conditional pick. Sure. But you got to give us a pick also. All right, yeah, sure, we don't care, as long as we get your first. Exactly. So... I feel like if they probably want to win a Super Bowl, like just having that Super Bowl merit on your resume, and for all intents and purposes, let's just say you went Super Bowl MVP, then you would have been probably been a lot more high regards. Maybe then you probably would have got a first and a third for him for probably a desperate team that's looking for a quarterback. Because every because one thing about the NFL is that every team every other week situations change, and you're always going to need a quarterback. And it, I think the superstar, I think the quarterback carousel is just like how in the NBA is superstar. Like every summer, there's going to be somebody who's going to move. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to lose their job based on a terrible playoff performance, a poor regular season performance, an, an injury or something. There's always going to be a team looking for a new quarterback. Yeah. So a random question I, I, I was just sitting here thinking in my head. Okay. You watch a lot of college football, a yes. lot more than I do, especially you being a Buckeye fan, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just say this goes off the rails in New Orleans, and you're looking at the Lions with the one and the Saints at two. Who do you want? Number two overall. Will Anderson. With the number two overall pick. Yes. He's that good. Yes. Because if if you're in the Lions at that point, if you had the number one overall pick in this quarterback class, you go Bryce. You go or Bryce. You go CJ. If you, you go, really love CJ, yeah, you go Bryce without thinking twice because they're going to be in the need for a quarterback. Yeah, and then you can get that and if you're Detroit, and if you're Detroit, depending on where, you know, the Lions, uh, not no, where the Rams finish, you can't afford to wait on a quarterback. So that's why you, there's going to be a lot more pressure. You know, for Brad Holmes' department, in order for you to get a quarterback, so that's why you get Bryce Young. Yeah, you you so get Bryce, you get Bryce Young, you pair him, you pair him up again with Jamison Williams, and I'm Harris Almarase Brown, 
and you got DJ Chark over there coming off the. Oh my gosh! Yes, with Hawkinson. Oh man, with that line with Swift and Williams. Yeah, dude. Oh my gosh! If 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 uh if kneecap biter Dan Campbell can't get it done with that team, then yeah. he might not be the guy. Yeah. Wow, Will Anderson, so uh, outside linebacker. Now, another question: If Burns or Chubb is available, would you give up our first round pick, not the Saints one, for one of those guys? And if so, who? Burns. So if Carolina calls you and says, we got Brian Burns for you, we want your first round pick. We know you're not giving us the New Orleans pick. Yes. But then if we get Burns, then that changes my pick in terms of what we do. Okay. So Okay. So let's go with this scenario. How he makes the move, we trade our first-round pick or our second-round pick and maybe something in the future for Burns. And now we have a young outside linebacker to be able to sign and pair with Reddick and Sweat. And we can let BG walk after this year if we win a ring or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and think about it. Fletcher's probably going to be gone. Hargrave's probably going to be a cap casualty. At that point, I would get the kid Jalen Carter from Georgia. Six foot six, 300 pounds. Probably the best interior lineman in the draft. At, at number two overall, a, de- a defensive tackle. Yes, that's that's a how that's a Howie Roseman special. Watch, watch the kid Jalen Carter. He's legit. Him and not, he's also from Georgia. So him and Jordan Davis, you did used to play together. That's true. Would there be anybody else in that running for you in your mind? No, if it isn't at that point, if it isn't Anderson or Carter, then probably not. You trade back at that point. Yeah. I've always been a fan of trading back, but well, it, I think at that point it, it would make sense to trade back because if like you said, if you've gotten burns, which was your biggest issue is you wanna you want I'm sure you want another outside pass rusher to go with because if obviously you're not bringing Barnett back, you'd have Sweat, Graham Maywalk, so you'd have Sweat, Anderson or Sweat and um Burns. Now here's the thing. What if you just double down and get Anderson anyway? I love that also. You, you can never have enough pass That's rushes. what I'm saying. You got Burns, Sweat, Reddick, and Anderson. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. And they're all under 26. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I think um, I think that could easily be a, a, a good move. I was just thinking about that because I'm like, I, every other day I feel like I see the draft order or how the league's going in draft order, and I'm just like, man, I just need the Saints to fall yeah. a little yeah. bit smaller, fall a little bit shorter. Honestly, though, but – I would prefer Burns, but I feel like Bradley Chubb will probably be a lot, a much more cheaper option. That's what I was thinking. My only, yes, that would be my only case I would make for Chubb is that's a Howie Rosen move. It's like you think he's going to get burned. It was like the year everybody wanted us to get Jalen Ramsey and he got Golden Tate. And it was like, damn, darn, excuse me. And it was like, but it also kind of worked. Oh, no, you can say damn. Oh, yeah. It was like, damn. But it also was like, I get it. And it worked. And he won a freaking playoff game for us. Yeah. So I think Burns is the right guy, right? And I don't think Chubb is the wrong guy, but I think Chubb is the how we move. Yeah. So if there's And also you got to think that the Panthers are 2-5 right now. They're in rebuilding. And they have – and if you're a team like that, you have your set of guys in terms of you're not trading unless the offer is too good to pass up. So you think you wouldn't want to get into the high-risk game of what Carolina would want for exactly. Burns. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Denver's kind of like, well, we're kind of screwed either way because I think we're too good to be really bad, but we're too bad to contend, so we got to kind of shuffle shuffle things around. Yes. And we know we can't pay Chubb. 
Yeah. And we'll have the, and we will have because Carson comes off the books next year fully. I think. Um, like you said, Fletch, Barnett, Cram possibly. So there's a lot of money that's going to be lying around. So. And not to mention with the trade that you made for Russell Wilson and how much draft capital you give up. At that point, you're just looking to just recoup any sort Anything. of thing. Yeah. So if if we're giving you a 31st, 30th, or 32nd pick or something like that, you, it's better than not having any first round pick. Yeah. So it gives us leverage. So exactly because and also the Panthers have all their draft capital. We really this is a, you make a great point. I didn't even think about why the Chubb sense the Chubb trade makes even more sense from a financial standpoint. Is we have way more leverage with Denver. You have no draft capital. You either take our first round pick or you have no first round pick. Now, what they could say is a team lesser than us um, asks and gives the same offer that they would just take that offer. Yeah, but I think you could sweeten it. Maybe you throw around a second, throw in a second rounder next year or something like that. Honestly, real talk, I do. A th- I would start with a third this year and a third next year. If they want to do it, then yeah, you do that trade. If not, then like all right, we'll negotiate. But at the same point, it's like. Do you want to be on the hook for paying him that money? If so, then by all means, you can have it. If not, then we'll figure something else out. We, like you said, Anderson will probably be on the board. Yeah, shoot, even if the Saints are four and five, depending on who's one, two, and three, he might still be on the board. Yeah. So. Yeah, because the top teams were, let's just say, Houston and, and Detroit, and uh, 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 who's thinking of Detroit right now? Like somebody else is really struggling bad. Um, What's Vegas's record now? Have they kind of? They're two and four. Okay, I wouldn't call that struggling. Struggling, and they honestly should be like four and two. I, th- I think the I think their first round picks also with Green Bay for Devontae? Yeah, that's hilarious. Let me double check. <laughs> but yeah, but I think with the way that the draft is shaping up to be, like all the bad teams, like they could, they all those, like like the Houston's and the Carolinas and Detroit. You can see three quarterbacks taken all back to back to back. Yeah, no, easily. Yeah. All right. Uh, I love the I love Tankathon. <laughs> all right, let's see. Right now, Detroit will have number one overall pick. CJ Stroud. Ooh, they have Will Anderson going to Houston. Bryce Young to Detroit. Uh, no, no, not Detroit. Carolina. Oh, then they have us getting Jalen Carter from Georgia. Oh, you called it? Yep. Well then. Yep. <laughs> so if Anderson's there, you think we take Anderson, but if Anderson's not there, we take Carter. Yes. And you just make this defense younger and more explosive. Yep. You have Dean with his second year in the system. You have Zach McPherson is coming along. You got these young safeties. Slay is an OG, but he's a younger OG. Same thing with Bradbury, like – you could run this defense back next year and have it be as effective. You're still going to have um, Milton Williams. Um, obviously, like you said, Hargrave may be a cap casualty, but I don't think he needs to be. It could be a restructure, mm-hmm. especially if we'll have money. If we don't have Fletch, why not pay Hargrave? Yeah. That way it's him, Jordan Davis, and Jalen Carter. That's a heck of a rotation. And Mitch Williams. And then, like you said, you'd have Reddick, um, <laughs> Chubb in that scenario. That's a, that's an insane deal. Shoot, just having Chubb to finish this run this year would be insane. Yeah. When's the trade deadline? Uh, next Tuesday. Okay. Getting Chubb would be crazy. Yeah. And or Burns. Honestly, just watching this, looking at this Tankathon Monk draft, so they have us taking Jalen Carter, defensive tackle from Georgia, and B.J. Ujulari, edge rusher from LSU. 
Okay. That's honestly a perfect scenario. That's a Howie Roseman special right there, and I wouldn't hate it at all. I wouldn't hate it because for the first – you want to know why I don't hate it? Because for the first time, the skill positions are so short up. Howie, have fun. Do whatever you want in the trenches. You want to draft two offensive linemen in the second round, you go right ahead, Howie, because why? Our skill positions are taken care of. I would like you to get a receiver in the third or fourth round if you could. Just putting that out there. But I'm just saying. Don't tell me you think. You don't tell me you're not thinking about it. Someone in the back of your mind. As I, much I, as you like Quez, it wouldn't hurt to bring in somebody to push him. I wouldn't hate it either, but yeah. Dude. Also, I think I think you still take. What about so? Do you keep taking swings at tight end somewhere in the draft, or do you just trust that Tyree Jackson or somebody will eventually work out? Because I know you got Dallas, so it's like you're. you're I know you're in your mind thinking from a place of privilege, like we got a top five tight end. Who cares? But Having Dallas to back up Zach and having Zach to back up Brent allowed you to think like that. There's no one. If Dallas goes down, who's our tight end? Jack Stoll season, baby. What? If you squint really hard. He looks like Jay Lewis. Yes. Same number also. I know. I hate you. Because you know I'm right. I'm just saying, squint really hard. Just if you like the lady, like the auntie who leans over in the meme, you just yeah. squint real hard. Chad, is that you? I'm like, I'm like listen, the, the, the ceiling is Chad Lewis, the floor is Jeff Thompson. Hey, leave Jeff Thompson alone. And so where's LJ Smith fall on that? Your favorite Eagles tight end. He was two seconds from having an L.J. Smith jersey. You was leading the L.J. And it's funny because all jokes aside, L.J. Smith would eat in this NFL. Oh, absolutely. He would eat in this NFL, dude. He was was a poor man's Kellen Moore, but yeah. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Or Kellen Winslow. Kellen Kellen Winslow Winslow Jr., to be specific. Yes, and you're 100% right. And I'm just thinking like Jermichael Finley, all those kind of like big-bodied athletic basketball player like type of dudes, he would have destroyed in this NFL. Man, Andy – one thing you could say about Andy is we might have never ever signed the guy or never drafted the guy, but he could always find a skill player where it's like, dang, this guy's kind of getting it done. Whether that's B West, whether that's LJ, you know, whether that's Corral Buckhalter, guys like that, like always finding a guy who could just like, what is this offense? Or like, what is this defense? Like what? But uh, yeah, no, um, Yeah, I'm excited for the trade deadline. Like I said, the only thing that I really want is one of the defensive ends that are clearly on the market, whether that's possibly Chubb, whether that's clearly Burns. I don't want to overpay for either. I'd be willing to more overpay for Burns because he's the better player and he's younger. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But back to your question about I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't waste a high resource on it because <coughs> we all know when it, when it comes to Jalen Hurts, we all know, like, Nine times out of ten where the ball's going to and that's his top three targets. Unless they're really pressure unless somebody gets hurt. So I'm not gonna sit here and waste like a potential second or third round pick on a guy who's n- probably gonna get a get it's probably only gonna get like no more than thirty targets. Okay. So even though Miles is playing good this year, I'm, I, I do I like talking these draft questions because I think people get caught up in the moment and please do. Enjoy the season, enjoy the ride, we're playing well. I'm just thinking of the future. Do you a so it's a two part question. Do you pay Miles? And if you don't want to pay Miles, do you draft the running back? I would pay Miles. Um, probably give him a short term deal. And 
if anything, I'd probably go with a second round pick to possibly draft and run it back. So you'd be more comfortable if, if we were gonna say our first two picks are defense and it's like gosh darn it, you've done it again, Howie. If there is a shake up in the second round, running back would be your like, ooh, I'm not mad at this. Yes. Pick. Because Or corner. No, because a uh, corner Think I, about it, would you really hate getting a corner at that spot? No, I wouldn't, but I I would definitely like try to go ahead and I would definitely try to I would definitely give Bradbury the money to have him stay here. No, no, no. I I'm I'm not even I'm not even saying use that second round pick and that's the replacement for Bradbury. I still want to play Bradbury. Don't get messed up. No, I want Bradbury and Slay to be the starters. But if you got McPherson and whoever this kid is that's going to be in the waiting in the wings behind these two guys, whether barring injury or just aging out, I don't see how that could be a bad thing. Like I said, you got to remember, when you when you have a situation where you have a, a dearth of something at one point and then you find yourself with an embarrassment of riches, you can't from, forget what it was like. We used to have no corners. <laughs> so, like, having four guys who could potentially start, I don't think that's a bad – Like that, that sounds like a good problem to have. Um, but yes, running back. I would, especially seeing what Brees Hall is doing for the Jets, and not to say Miles. I, I think my thing is I realized I just don't. Every running back, the way their feet moves, the way they run, the way they throw their stiff arms, the way that everybody runs a certain way and has a certain style. The way you hit the hole, the way you receive the ball, the way you cut. I don't like Miles's running style, and he's not as elusive as Shady was in his prime, so he can't get away with it as much as Shady did. And in our offense, the way that our offense opens holes, I want somebody who's like Boston Scott who's just going to write. Or, that's why when Boston Scott has those games where he has those Boston Scott games, it's because he's just hitting the hole. Kenny has those games where he gets 15 yards that Miles would have gotten four. And just as many times Miles may have a 75-yard run or 80-yard run or whatever the case may be, I just think I keep coming back to in a playoff game, would you give Miles Sanders 25 carries? Well, no, you wouldn't need to because the way Philadelphia runs the football. I'm not saying that, but if we had a guy. Oh, you if could, you're asking you me, if I, do I trust him? Yes. Not in our system, obviously, but would you can grind those to the ground? So Boston Scott ain't where you don't even see that in your mind. You can't even close your eyes and imagine a, a January game, snow in the Lincoln. It's just Miles Sanders running through a whole stiff arm. I want that. And I'm not even saying I want, like, I'm not saying that, like, I want Trey Sermon to be the starter, but I. Paved the way, Trey. When we won the Super Bowl, right, you had a giant, you had Blunt, and you had Clement to be your catching out of the backfield utility guy, right? But what did we do? We bruised people. I want that same bruising running style and running power. So the one thing I would pray for in this draft is, all right, how we get your D lineman or get your O lineman building your trenches, baby. But please, for the love of God, get a power back. You don't trust Sermon, that's fine. I like the couple runs I saw from Sermon. That's, and I didn't even watch him play at Ohio State. That's all I need to see. But get a power back. I really want a power back. I really want a Lindale White, a, a LeGarrette Blunt, somebody we can just get up and take care, take advantage of the fact that this offensive line can pass block just as well as they can finesse block. <sighs> Lindale White could have been a good. He was still he was good in the league with Tennessee the first couple of years. Yeah. Just a lot of running backs. A lot of running backs that really wasn't like LT or AP kind of like burned out a lot early in the 2000s. But no, uh, back to your original question. It says like, 
No, I would rather if okay, if this does hold up, we get you know we fortify our getting younger on the defensive line. I wouldn't mind wasting a second round pick on a on a running back because as much offensive talent that we we try to put you know with AJ Brown, us drafting Devontae Smith, resigning Dallas Goddard, and you know getting the targets they do, we are still a run first football team. Yes. So investing our resources into getting a running back, a legitimate running back who can spell and get 10 to 15 carries on his own from Miles Sanders is definitely essential. Because as much as I love Jalen Hurts and his ability to run the football, that's not a sustainable way. It, it's that's, not. It's something that he can use to surprise people. It's something you can do on sneaks. And it's something that you can do if you want to run a couple power pitches or J-sweeps every now and then. But he shouldn't be having 10 to 12 design carries a game. That's crazy. Yeah. Now, if he rushes for 10 times because the pocket's collapsing or he's just not making his reads, that's part of his development or the game flow. Yeah, like, I like, yeah, like, the, I, lo- I want my running backs to at least have 30, 35 carries if we're running the football. And if my quarterback needs to scramble to get yards off yards off a busted play, then by all means, th- that's so. Kind of like what we saw from, like, the Bears last night, but there were a lot more Justin Fields design runs last yes. night. And I also think, you know, even though it sounds weird because on camera it looks – and that's the other thing. Jalen Hurts is not a small-build guy, so it's not that I don't think he could take this kind of punishment. I just think it with the quarterback position being so delicate, it's only going to take one wrong hit to the realist uh, undefeated season. Yes, and also I'd like for my quarterback to taste less hits because here's the thing. If you're running all the time – and you are taking those hits, and you are getting put to the ground like multiple times. Then, as are you going to have enough energy, you know, to throw this twenty-yard comeback route, um, you know, for like to to get this first down and this third down? So for me, it's just a wear and tear issue because we still haven't seen a quarterback with Jalen Hurts' play style, you know, make a deep postseason run to go to a Super Bowl yet. Exactly. No, one hundred percent. Um, and I think that's my biggest fear. Everybody's just like, we're winning, we're winning. It doesn't matter. And it's like, do do you not know what the pattern is in playoffs? A lot of teams can win in the regular season with a certain pattern of success, but then in the playoffs, when people have time to just prepare for you, when they have film to watch you on, and when and when you have players and coaches who know how to win in these environments and in these moments, it shows. We look like a pretty good team down the stretch last year. I'm not going to say amazing. I'm not going to say I'm going to say a pretty good team down the stretch last year. And we got destroyed by the Bucks in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I think what people need to understand is, yes, we look awesome right now, but I want to see more improvements in areas that I think are going to be tested in the playoffs. So I want to know that Jalen Hurts can put up 35 yards. Has Jalen Hurts ever thrown four touchdown passes in his career? Probably have to go back to Oklahoma. And, you know, everybody will be like, oh, but he gets two on the ground in 20 years, so why does it matter? And it's like it matters because there will be games where he can't get them on the ground, where teams will literally hold up eight in the box and say, we dare you to beat us one-on-one. We triple-dog dare you. And they're going to have the corners to be able to say that. And that's going to be the team to be able to beat us. So far, we've come with teams that are their corners can't do anything with A.J. and Devontae long enough that it doesn't matter if Jalen can get the ball down the field because in the intermediate to short routes, these you know, AJ and Devontae can get open. Same with Dallas. But as far as a team that can, like like the Bucks last year, you know, obviously not having AJ, but who can defend so well in that intermediary area with 
Devontae and with Levante David and all of that stuff. Like, I mean, Devin White, excuse me, and Levante David. Uh, and then you got, you know, Winfield in the backfield as a corner, like, excuse me, as a safety. They have the ideal secondary to deal with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Like, the Rams are a bad matchup for us. Aaron Donald can disrupt our line and can control the running game. And then they have the corners to be able to cover A.J. and Devontae. So that's a defense that could bother us. The same thing with San Fran. So there are teams who match up against us defensively. The thing that I'm saying is, can our offense, the way the Chiefs went out there and said, okay, San Fran, you're a top two defense. We don't care. Our offense is so good it doesn't matter. It blows your game plan away. That's what I'm saying. We can out, we've can out. we been out game planning and out coaching teams. And our defense has shown the ability to be explosive and shows our, our offense at certain points. But it's been few and far between if you really think about it. The Chiefs and teams that expose – Remember, there was a point where I think we we're leading the league in scoring. Now I think we're like ninth in the league in scoring. Yeah, that matters because it means week by week. When was the last time we scored over thirty? Week one. No, we scored thirty against someone else, right? And now, mind you, that's with turnovers and short fields involved. All right, let's see. Week one, thirty-eight. 38, 24, 24, 29, 20, 26. So the last time we scored over 30 was week one. Yes. Against the Flailing Lions team. Yes. So our offense, for better or worse, even though we've been running the ball and been productive in a lot of ways, has been less explosive and less consistent over the last five Yeah, weeks. because we saw, we saw a, lot, a lot in the second half. Exactly. And I think the problem with when you have good vibes around the team is everybody's like, a win is a win, a win is a win. No, a pattern is a pattern. And winning through your patterns is a good thing, but it also can be a bad thing because sometimes you don't really take those patterns seriously until somebody punches you in the mouth about them. And I think that's what's happening with the birds right now is we're winning so much. Everybody's like, nah, Jalen's still. I'm like, no, he still has a lot to improve on before I would give him this extension. I'm sorry. Miles Sanders still has to prove he can play 16 games before I sign you to an extension. Sorry. You know, that's fair. Nick Sirianni still has to prove that he can outcoach a experienced or a good coach in the playoffs. Sorry. Gannon has to call, keep calling good games because I call you, I saw you call a season's worth of pretty much terrible games last year. And our defense was still good, but you also, a lot of times, allowed our defense to get torched and picked apart. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. And once again, you're listening to 98.5 WJY. Yeah. Never have sports show, sports for the culture. If you want to call to join the discussion, that number is 215-763-9596. Phillies and five is actually trending on Twitter right now. That's hilarious, and I kind of love that. Yep. Phillies and uh, five. And fun fact, over, throughout the entire history of the Phillies playing his playoff baseball in Citizen Bank Park, uh, guess what our oh, 30 games have been played in Citizen Bank Park? 24 and, and six. 21 and nine. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. The only times we actually had a losing record throughout that was 07. When we got swept by, by the, the Rockies. Rockies and then the Cardinals and the Giants. Yeah. <sighs> well, no, the, Car- well, the Cardinals. That Giants and LCS. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. No, but overall... Yeah, but overall, uh, these next two weeks for Philly sports is actually going to be good. You know, Union are doing great. 
Um, look, I know that we've been dreading this conversation in terms of talking about, you know, you know this team, but the NBA season it is under is is underway. It's been going off since last week. We did a little bit of coverage of their home opener against. I don't know what team you're talking about. Against the Boston Celtics, they didn't officially get their first win last night at home against the Indiana Pacers, the Philadelphia 76ers. So, come on, bro. We got to talk about it. <laughs> what is there to talk about? The offense looks disjointed. Joel looks tired and unenthusiastic. Uh, our bench guys don't look like what we think they're supposed to. Matisse is pretty much completely out of the rotation. It looks like this team has already given up on itself four games into the season. But another new James Harden looks healthy, so there's that. Um, I'm just tired of it. The reason I don't want to talk about it is because we know what the problem is. And that's the thing. When you get to a situation in life right, where you know what the problem is, people get tired of just talking about what the problem is. You either just fix it or you don't. And then people, if you don't fix it, they walk away. And I think that's what's happening. It's like every other team in this city is fixing their problem. Whether it's the Flyers to a certain extent, whether it's the Birds, whether it's the, the Flyers the, got a new head coach. Phils, exactly. Flyers got a new head coach. The Phils fired Girardi. And the DP. Eagles got rid of DP and, and Carson. So, and it just feels like, and I'm not saying that the Zusha might be trade Joe, but Doc, I, I you got to get a different voice in here. I just, what I will always say, right? And I think maybe this was a while ago that I was making this point, even maybe preview to our previous show, Thomas and Thomas, where teams that have systems are successful in the NBA, correct? Mm. Not even just the culture, but you can tell them what they are. Those pick-and-roll sons, those triangle offense Lakers and Bulls teams, those uh, Popovich passing Spurs teams, or those big – those big elbow centric post, uh, those elbow to elbow to the post post centric Spurs teams, right? Throughout the history, teams, great teams have had a system or a way that they play, a way that you fit guys into their system, right? We don't have a system or an identity, regardless for hook or crook. With Brett, we had a system. It was get the shooters open, get guys open shots, work the ball down through Joe, screening rolls, back door cuts. There were things there was a system to point to, with Doc and, and also with Brett. We were defense first, exactly. and you could tell by the different styles. Of like even when Ben and Joel played together, he found a way to make it work. Like when Ben wasn't playing, everything was all low post with Joel and B. When Ben was out, uh, when Joel was out and Ben was in, we played a lot more up tempo. Exactly. Like good coaches know how to get the most out of the playing style, and that's why, for me, like when I watch you know these talk shows of like. Oh well, they just need to figure out a coach that knows how to use Ben Simmons right. First of all, like we've seen it in Philadelphia for the first like four years of his career. Yeah. Brett Brown knew how to use him. It's the 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 problem that only occur when you uh, when they ask is like when Brett when much more was expected from Ben than what he was giving us. That's the only issue. So now for. As much as you know, people want to make Steve Nash like a lame duck coach. Like honestly, like is Steve Nash a great co- is a good coach? No, I don't think so at all. But also at the same time, it's like he you're also asking him to you. Kyrie's unreliable in multiple fronts. Like not when in, in when he's playing and he's on the court, he's a top ten 
talent in the league and he can go off any night. Yes. But with his injury history and his – I won't make a judgment on the things he does, but his proneness to outside of basketball activities affecting his ability to play basketball, whether that's vaccines or whatever, it makes it a scary thing to trust in him. Yeah, which is why Brooklyn didn't extend him. Exactly. And which domino effect, which had KD feel some type of way, and then he won out. Exactly. So, and now you're dealing with the whole crap storm of of, of backlash for no good darn strong reason. Yep. But yeah, for but to hammer home more to your point, like this team has no identity. Um, it has no structure. James looks great. He looks fully healthy. And but there's no reason why you have a guy like Tyrese Maxey in your 30th and pacing the NBA. Yes. Um. And even with how much work, you can clearly see Tyrese Maxey wants to, you know, want to put in for this team and wants to do more for this team. He hasn't been getting the, he hasn't been getting the opportunities to do so. Like, as talented as Joel Embiid is, he, he's not a guy that you should be playing off the top of the key and on the elbow as much as you do. And. This team is just unresponsive right now. I feel like you won your game last night and just solely just based off the fact that James Harden and Joel Embiid didn't want to lose. Yes. Like, it had nothing to do with coaching or anything. It's just the fact that, okay, listen, in the, that's why we talked about <coughs> parody, in the, parody in the NBA is probably the least amount of parodies because in the end, nine times out of ten, when it comes to talent-wise – Talent will always beat out great coaching if you don't if you have the talent. So like nine times out of ten, if you're going to see a Pacers Sixer matchup in the postseason, there's no reason why the fact that Philly should not sweep this Pacers team. And you saw it last night. But when we get to those teams, when we talk about you know them going up against you know the Boston Celtics, even without Mecca Yudoka, when we seen them take on Milwaukee, and that was without Chris Middleton. They are going to struggle and they are going to lose. So, like you said, we all know what the problem is. And I don't feel like nobody on this team is motivated. And right now they need a new voice. Whether it's Sam Cassell, Dan Burke, Dave Yeager. You have three viable coaching options on your bench right now that could possibly lend a new voice in which those players are actually going to respond to. Exactly. So, yeah, honestly, I'm kind of with you. I love basketball. We all know basketball is probably our second favorite sport. Exactly, 100%. So the fact that we're watching a team as talented and for the fact that James Harden was willing to take a pay cut to try to make this work and for the fact that it's not working at all in nearly every single front, it's a little disheartening. Very no, I can't agree with that. And the part that even makes it more disheartening is the way they're losing in those situations. Like, you lost to a crappy Spurs team. If you were losing to the top-tier teams in the league and kicking the low teams, but that's, like, middling team behavior. But, like, getting beat by a Spurs team on your home court, that's embarrassing. A Spurs team that, even though Pop is going to coach them to win, knows he doesn't have enough talent to win. And... I know, like, one of my Spurs fans in my group chat, um, like, we have, he was like, wait, hold on, you guys actually beat us? 
We're not even we're, we're not even trying this season. How do you how do we beat y'all? Shout out to Kelvin Johnson. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, not a not a great not a great uh not a great start to the season. Nope, not at all. But in other news, there are other teams who are out there playing well. Yeah. I'm about to say it could be worse. We could be the Lakers. Man, um, we talk culture here, so, you know, um, Russell Westbrook is the exact case of if you think something works for you because it works for you, that's great, right? Yes. Because this is what has gotten you to this point. But when you really reach a crossroads and understand that you need to go down a different path or you need to truly segue into a new lane, this is where having the mindset like someone like Russell Westbrook can be dangerous to that. Because now his entire instinctual way of living and way of getting to where he is is being told to be changed. It's told to be like, oh, you don't get the ball in your hands. You're not the alpha anymore. You're not this. You don't play like this. You're supposed to do this. You're suppo- so now instead of going out and just playing the way Russell Westbrook knows to play, he now has to think, which you know, not to like call him a dumb guy or anything, but he's never had to be Chris Paul of a team. He's never had to be, you know, he's the he can be the engine, but he doesn't necessarily have to be the driver if that makes any sense. Especially when you had a guy like KD, who you know I would argue is the better playmaker than Russ, even though he was a point guard because he understood how to get people involved from a certain aspect and why it was important to get them involved and get them involved the way he did and when he did. And I'm not to say that, you know, if you don't put the ball in Russ's hands and, like, if you sub him and LaMelo out in Charlotte, I mean, Charlotte might stink, but if you just give him the keys, he'd probably be 25 into – the perfect example is last year. Or, no, that was two years ago, right? When Washington. He was, yeah. He was 20, 10, and 10. Average, I think he averaged a triple-double for the season, right? Around it. And I get it. They were an AC, but they weren't a terrible team. So – um, you know, I just I hope Russ eventually is like, you know what? Whatever we need to do to win, I'm down with. And, you know, obviously we're not Laker fans, you know, beat LA, no no team chance that more than us probably except for Boston. Uh but I don't want to see Russ go out like this. I don't want to see his career in this way to where he kind of gets Allen Iverson blackballed. And away from the league where it's like, mm, your body hasn't fully shut down, but your attitude isn't worth having you on a roster in the way that it was previously. Mm. And, like, I was watching uh, Stephen A. and um, Kendrick Perkins this one, and the best way to describe it was, like, perfect. It was like, Russ is not a guy. He's not going to get in trouble. He's not necessarily even going to cause trouble. But people are afraid of him because his attitude is his attitude in the realm of his stubbornness, his unwillingness to, oh, I got it. Oh, no, 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 I'm cool. I got it. All right, I heard you. And he's not going to be on time to practice. He's probably going to be the last, one of the last dudes to leave the facility. All of those good, awesome superlatives you talk about with, you know, great teammates, right? But if for nothing else, I think you have to um, think, what is LeBron thinking more than anything at this point? Because, you know, he's got all this time and energy invested into this this team, and now, you know, all of the things that he's worked for is pretty much falling apart. Mm-hmm. So, like, now what do you do? Especially with Elf. Especially with... You know him, him going to LA and trying to build up his brand. And how did? And also, think about it. Russ grew up in Cali. He grew up as a Laker fan. So 
just imagine every single time you touch that ball, like in Staples Center, they just booing you. Like I understand, like Russ is playing terribly, shooting like around thirty percent or probably less than thirty percent from the floor, shooting eight percent from three, which is I don't know how how you shoot eight percent from three, which I don't. Just, uh. Yeah, but also it's kind of like a mental thing where it's like. You are playing bad. I understand you are stubborn. Is you, when you are used to a way of living or a way you're going about your life, especially at this point in your life, Russ is in like his early to mid thirties. It's hard to adjust it. It's hard to, you know, adjust your lifestyle. It's hard to adjust how you're playing because that's what you're used to doing, and that's how what you're the best version of yourself in terms of getting results. That's how you. That's what you're used to. But. For me, I feel like the best way to kind of salvage what the rest, whatever's left of Westbrook's career, is the fact that they have to trade him. But that's the problem; you can't. Yeah, and that's, no one wants that contract. Nobody wants that contract. It's still one year, but nobody wants that contract. And if you're the Lakers, you got to tie a first round. You got to tie a first round picks on him in order to in order to move him. Exactly. And also, who's to say that? the next team that you're playing for, are you going to adjust your playing style for them? I just still can't believe they traded Kuzma and KCP and let Alex Caruso walk. For him. That's crazy. You had a championship team built, and then you let injuries scare you into thinking you still weren't a championship team. That's the... And I'm kind of glad some teams are getting away from it, where it's like, you don't need three all-stars and to just win a title anymore. Sometimes, like, LeBron and AD can be your can be your one-two punch, but as long as you field the team out properly with depth, with shooting, which they lack in both departments right now, it was since the rush trade, mm-hmm. you can you can still field a you can still field a good team. So, but no, that 100%. Being, yeah. But that being said, I believe the Portland Trailblazers are the number one seed in the Western Conference right now. I believe somebody on this show said Portland wasn't going to stink. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, they, you. I mean, they could lose the next They could literally lose the next 78 games. <laughs> but as of right now, as of week one, I look smart. No, but I knew Dame was going to come out firing. Dame's not the best <laughs> type of leader, a team that is unsure of what they are going to be is a leader that's so sure of himself that he they have no other choice but to be what he wants to be. If that makes sense? Yeah. So a healthy Dame knows I'm one of the ones. I'm one of the top guys in this league. I'm a top 10 guy, and I can carry this team. And now it's a place where I'm not even necessarily saying Simons is better than McCollum, but I think he might in a weird way be a better fit next to Dame for this NBA. Also, He's eight, a natural more Also ra- eight years older. Eight years younger. younger. But I'm just saying fit-wise. Yeah. I don't even mean age. He's a natural, more rangy shooter. Mm-hmm. He's a more twitchy athlete than CJ. Mm-hmm. And he can, he's a natural, more natural point guard and ball handler than CJ is. Yeah. So And also, not a lot not, – not, the trade for Jeremy Grant doesn't get enough credit for also. Yeah, because they also needed a – it would have been nice if they would have kept Cub in there somewhere, but Norman Powell also. Exactly. Ooh, that would have been that would have been dirty. But to have Grant, to have Little, to have Sharp, to have these win when was the last time they had a rangy wings that could actually get up and Dame was on the break he could throw oops to kids and you know you got shooting with Grant. I don't know if Shoot, I'll do you one better. When was the last time Portland actually fielded a team that's good like good defensively at all? Exactly. 
Now I don't know, and then, then you gotta think when Nurkic and Dame are on the floor, this is a a, a, a top ten team or something. They, they're per one hundred possessions is crazy mm-hmm. with those two on the floor. So it'll be interesting to see that if they can stay healthy and you know Chauncey clearly has got these guys believing and playing well. I wouldn't want to see Portland. I wouldn't want to see a four or five seed Portland in the first round. Mm-hmm. I know, pers- I know you wouldn't. I know you darn sure wouldn't want your sons to see that. Would you say that if this if they continue this upward trend, do you see Chauncey being the next Jason Kidd, like like Kidd was for the Mavericks? I think so because once again, it goes back to not only just being a player because you could be a player that's a cool. My cool thing about Pat Riley, right, is. I'm sure he understands where his relation level to guys can go. I'm a 70-year-old man. I can only relate to you but so much. We both hoopers. We both whatever. But knowing that you need to have people around you to relate to you is what's kept Pat Riley relevant. He's like anti-Vince McMahon. He's like an old guy who older guys respect so much because he knows there's a difference. I think when you have guys like J.K. Luca, watch J.K. play. Dame watch Chauncey play. So if Chauncey get in your ear and say, "Yo, bro, listen, break this dude down, take him on the left," I'm going. If you want, if you don't got your shot, you going to hit Anthony in the corner or whatever. He, it, he, and it's not like any other person can't design that play. But knowing someone who knows your job to the T, and having, I don't know, I just feel like that level of like, all right, best say no more is is different. And I'm sure it is. Like I said, no disrespect, Terry Stotts was a great coach, and you know, and, and kept that team good. And you know, they had an awesome run to the West Conference Finals in 2019. But I think. You're seeing that, you know, Chauncey settling in, obviously Dame not being hurt, proper people around him. I, I, Portland, you know, secretly, Dame is, what, 31 now, I guess? Yeah. Maybe 29, 30? No, I think he just turned 30. He's I think he's 31. Okay. Dame just turned 31. So let's be honest with this, his game style, and if he stays healthy, he has two or three good years left. Don't be surprised if he pulls a Dirk and they build one last good team around him. Oh, my bad, he's 32. And they build one last yeah. good team around him, and he makes that Dirk run. I call it the Dirk run, the solo st- If he get. I'll put it to you like this. If Dame can't get a Dirk ring, it'll mean – I'm not going to say it'll mean more than Curry's four or LeBron's four or something like that, but he'll be the Iverson of this generation in a different way where it's like I did do it on my own and I actually got the ring to prove it. And I stayed with the same team. And I stayed down. So, um, you know, let's just hope that uh, – Neil O'Shea keeps building around uh, Dame and, and putting him in position to succeed. Yeah. Obviously, he's not going to average 40 a game. So, you know, you're going to have to know where that's up. But if he's averaging 29, 30 a game and you're getting 20 from Simons and then the rest of the guys got to give you, what, 60-something to get, make you 115, 112 a game, something like that, that's winning you most NBA games. That's a high, that's a top five offense. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no. Um, like Portland. Obviously, Dallas is playing well. Phoenix is playing well. Um, Golden State is playing well. Waiting for, you know, Sacramento to hit the ground rolling. I guess that was the team I was wrong on. The Magic are just fun again. You got Bull Bull running around there all lanky. Mo Bamba, Paolo. Like, that team is so weird, but it's fun. Yeah. I, I don't care they're one for. They're fun to they're watch. They're fun to watch. They really are. It's just like, what are y'all doing? Like, what is this line? Is that Mo Bamba and Bull Bull at the same time? What are you, what are you doing, Steve Clifford? Or, or I'm sorry, Jamal Mosley. What are you doing? Let's get weird. Let's get weird. Um, Charlotte is hopeless. Um, Pelicans. Pelicans, man. Well, the Jazz. The, I'm not gonna say the Jazz lost, put a damper on the Pelicans because you know basketball is the sport where any somebody can beat anybody any night, and then the next night you remember that they're a 20 win team. Um, but the Jazz, man, it's funny because you know you, they bring in this coach, they go and get him all these guys nobody really wants. 
They get rid of Mitchell. They get rid of Gobert, and they're trying to tank, and then you start out 3-0. and And now you're at this point where you're like, we're still going to tank. But it's nice to know that this system and this belief in these players are working and that we just got to bring in the talent with them. It still would be nice to get Jordan Clarkson, though. Either that or Eric Gordon. Oh, yeah, I saw that post of the Rockets. Um, the couple players on the Rockets arguing, and Eric Gordon is just, like, off on the side, just like, bro, what are y'all doing? Why y'all It was doing incredible. That? He was like, yo, why am I here, yo? I make a 20 mil, but I, I, I think the that. fact that Jabari Smith and Jalen Green were the ones arguing is, like, the more annoyingly problematic part. Now, in four or five years, if they win a ring together, you know, that'll be a clip that they show before they interview them before the finals or something. But I, I like the fact that I think Kevin Porter, I think Sil- Steven Silas has these guys' ear, and it's just a spat between teammates that we saw on the sideline, yeah. and it won't matter in a week or two. Yeah. I really want to get league pass this year because there are teams that I really want to see, and I know I can do it on Stream East and stuff like that, but I really, really, really want to get league pass for the yeah. first time. Let's see. Um the Hawks are fun. Cleveland's fun. Yes. The Raptors are really fun to watch also. Yes, but we talked about our love affair with the Raptors. Yeah. Um, I know this. I'm, the Raptors' only uh, ceiling is how good – it depends on how good you think Scotty – or just the Royal you, how good you think Scotty Barnes is going to be. If you think he's going to be possible all-star but not really a superstar, yeah, yeah. then their ceiling's probably a fourth or fifth seed for most of their career. But if you think he's going to be – possibly a top 15, top 20 player one day, yeah. you're talking about a, a team that could perennially sit at top four seed in the West, in the East, excuse me. Yeah, and also how fast Scotty Barnes actually picks up. It. Um, because the faster Scotty Barnes picks up and he does become that all-star, like the 26 and 26, four. 8 and 5 type of guy. Yeah. Because I think that's what his peak will look like, like 20, 25, 9 and 5, or 25, 9 and 4 and a half, something like that. I don't think he'll be tasked with being the um he, I don't think he'll be tasked with being the uh primary ball handler. Yeah. He'll be able to do it in spurts like Kawhi, but I don't think he'll have to do. Now maybe he'll become more of an adept ball handler and isolation scorer. Yeah. And he'll get to that role more like how Pascal is now. But yeah. I think this incarnation of the team, Pascal knows what he wants to do. Pascal I think the obvious thing to say is Pascal is the more developed um, offensive player. Yeah, and we're and you're seeing it now earlier. He's like Pascal looks like he's finally healthy. Yeah, well, I mean, he's looked like he was healthy since last year. Remember when he came back from the injury? That was how they became a four. Dude, they were like an eighth seed before he came back from his injury. Yeah, and I think he came back in February or March, and they just balled out through the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, they just balled out to the end of the season. So yeah, I'm just saying, but like this year, like he's definitely um, cause he did average 22 points. His points per game have definitely went up. Rebounds has gone up. Like he's definitely looking more like a triple threat. In terms of what they're trying to do. Exactly. You know, my favorite team in the league to talk about that's crappy, the Indiana Pacers. Um, I love just that they have a bunch of young guys, and it's like Rick Carlisle uh, being Gene Hackman in Hoosiers, where he's just um, taking this rough, tough, ragtag group of guys and playing with them. Uh, I don't know what the future holds for Buddy Heels and Miles Turner. Obviously, you know, with Heald and with Turner, and there's the rumors that if there's a Westbrook trade there, it's that trade, and – you know, they might just buy out Westbrook or just send Westbrook home. And I think that's the trade and that's the opportunity and that's the situation that the uh, Lakers really, really, really need to try and push for is to try and get Westbrook traded to Indiana. I was just talking about Indiana and how fun 
For like Buddy Hill. Yeah, and I think exactly how fun they are as a team. But the Buddy Hill, Miles Turner trade, I think, first of all, I think the Lakers have to throw in a pick, by the way. Yeah, they have to. I think you have to, right? Maybe multiple picks. Yeah. But I think Indiana would be the only team willing to take that because they're like, all right, we get rid of Hield and Turner. We get rid of my, we get we get rid of Tur- we get rid of Hield and Turner. Yeah, that makes us worse. We send Westbrook home. You don't even got to stay here. We're gonna pay you forty four million dollars to just go home, go be with your family. We stink it up, get a high pick in the draft next year. They could be a women women minion march, you know, or women minion hunt. Yeah. But, but I like – shout out to Benedict Mathurin, yeah. who I knew was going to be one of those guys. I'm yeah. not saying I knew he was going to be a 20 and 10 guy or whatever, but I knew he was going to be an effective rookie young. Yeah, and also with the way that he's playing, like, you might more be inclined to move Buddy Hill to like just let him – Just let him have kind of those – Yeah, also Tyrese Halliburton is always good. TJ McConnell will always have a job in the NBA. Yeah. I, and, I think that's one of my if, – if somebody was to say, if you could give one process sixer back to the sixers, I think a lot of people would say Rocco. Um, some people say Dario. Some people say Rashawn Holmes. I would want TJ back. I would. I agree. Because I think four or five minutes of him running the offense, you know you can sit hard and you know you can sit maxi. You know he's going to give you defensive tenacity. He can hit a mid-range jumper. He's solid from the line. Like Just having someone who can competently do their job and be effective, you take for granted when you have Matisse Thibel running around out there and there's a liability on offense. Yeah. Exactly. And even if you trade Miles Turner, remember, they still got Daniel Tice. Which I like Daniel Tice. I mean, but the thing is, the goal is to think Daniel Tice is the perfect center because he's going to work hard and play hard and has good habits, but he's not talented enough to really stop any of the great centers in the league. Yeah. So, But even still then, he'll he'll give it the whole college try. Exactly. He's a poor so man's like, Jonas. Yeah, so like him, Jalen Smith is a front court. That's not bad. It's not bad at it's, all. It's scrappy. Mathurin at the three, yeah. and then who would be there two if they get rid of Buddy? Uh, uh, Duarte. Duarte, yeah. Duarte and Harlow. I like that. Duarte, Halliburton. Mathurin, Jalen Smith, and uh, Daniel Tice. That's not bad. And like I said, Mathurin's getting those good minutes. Duarte's getting those minutes. Halliburton is getting those minutes to run that team. And like I said, if you put Wibbermania on that team next year, I'll be real. That's a playoff team. I think so. That's scary. That's scary. That's scary because they're going to have length. And you know Carlisle's going to be like, I can't wait. I played against Ralph Sampson in the 80s. I know exactly how I'm going to use this kid. He's literally Ralph Sampson with like who if you like stuck him in one of those rooms where they like make you like watch something and pull your eyes open and you just made him watch the N one mixtapes or like made him watch a Kevin Durant highlight tape over and over again. That's scary. Was, did was, you actually get a chance to watch any of his like besides his highlights, did you watch the game that he played, the G League Ignite games the French team played versus the G League Ignite? Oh um, with Minya? Yeah. Un I, unreal. Like, for even as good as Bo Bo moves or a guy like Mo Bamba's size, like, they – the way he was taking dudes off the dribble. That's – it's he – is, he is a created player. Yes. He is the guy where you like, I'm tired of KD killing him. I'm tired of this. All right, bet. I'm making you 7'6". I'm giving give you wingspan, 99 threes, Just 99 imagine blocks. Kevin Durant, 7 foot, uh, 6 inches taller. Exactly. And a more natural rim protector. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's crazy. Yeah, remember all the things we liked about Chris Porzingis? Yeah, yeah, we'll just make his handles a ninety nine. Exactly. And his post defense a ninety nine. Now the only thing that you you know comparing him to KD and obviously KD's body for you know all intents and purposes as many times as KD as many times as KD has missed some time he's pretty much been a very durable player. Yes. Obviously, Chris stops is on the other end of that where he's missed 
several amount of time. But one thing about when Przingis is right and he's healthy, he's a good player. I don't know if he'll ever be what he was in those couple of seasons with New York. But as far as Wibbenia, my only thing would be what what does his body look like with muscle on it, and can he stay healthy? All right, I'll do an exercise. Which team at the bottom of the league right now would it be most fun for you to see get Wibbenia? Last question of the night. The Oklahoma City Thunder. I want to say that, but I feel like that's so ridiculous. I'm just like, listen, we talked about let's talk about the end of Magic getting weird. Let's get weird. Let's do a Chet Holmgren, Willaminga front court. What are you doing with SGA running point? Let's get Yo, weird. Lou Dort out there, like Josh. That starting lineup is crazy. SGA, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Chet, and Wibbaminga. Yes. Yo, first of all, no one's under six six. No one's under six six at all. Uh, they all can play. They all can ball handle too. Yes, that's disgusting, and they can all shoot too. And I'm like, okay, how do we game plan against this? Uh, I really don't know. Like, what do we do? Like, this is, and it's like, I guess the only thing you could do is run super small against them and hope that Chet and Whippenmania can't make up the difference on the perimeter. Yeah, but, but still, like. Let's, but the fact that they have so much length and wingspan to potentially close out on three-point shooters that are going to be blocks. Exactly. That's scary. Yeah. For sure, for sure scary. Yeah. I mean, don't the Pelicans and the Pelicans don't still have the Lakers uh, pick, right? Or is it like a pick swap at this point? It might be a swap. At this, it might be a swap at this point. Okay. Holy crap. I see why you just Zion said that. Zion and Yes. If David Griffin pulls that off, that's crazy. So you're talking about Alvarado, CJ, B.I., Zion, and Wibbaminia? Yeah. Holy crap, that's the craziest lineup in NBA history. Yes, they yes, they actually do have the pick. They do have their pick. And yeah. what are the Lakers right now in the mock draft? Uh, the tank, odds, odds right now. The uh, they, odds. They, they, would, they would have the fourth highest odds. And remember, it's not worst record anymore, so... It's not worth record like the NFL. So, so right now the top four odds is Orlando, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, mm -hmm. and the Lakers, which then will go to New Orleans. And five is Indiana. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. By the way, that means the six is probably six right now. We're eighth, actually. <laughs> We're uh, not even good at being bad right now. Yep. Also, shout out to Ben Simmons. Fouling out twice in three games. We love to see it, Ben. That's Defensive Player of the Year, Ben Simmons. Keep that, keep that energy up, man. We're proud of you. Good to see you back on the court. Warms my heart. God. <laughs> yes, we are petty. Yes. You should know this. We're Eagle fans. We're always petty. And we're just Philadelphia sports fans in general. We're always petty. That's also fair, too. Yep. And I think that's a way, perfect way to close out the show. Um, go Phils. Go Union. Go Flyers. Go, Birds. go, go Sixers. Go Sixers. Yeah. Do do your best. <laughs> just, just try really hard, and at the end of the day, we'll still love you. You're doing fine, sweetie. Facts. <laughs>
Once again, you got Chris Thomas. Jamal Thomas. And you're listening to the Running Back Sports Show, Sports for the Culture. And you can find us every Tuesday on 98.5 WJYN from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern on 98.5 WJYN and on UptownRadioDefully.org and live on YouTube on 98.5. Until next time, we will see you later.